I grew up in the New York City area, uh, went to church, went to many churches, same message over and over, do good, be good, come to church sometime. It was a social construct, but it was nothing having to do with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then in 1969, we moved out to Los Angeles, very different area, went to church a bit. I more enjoy just going surfing, cruising the boulevard, my 65 Mustang. But then the, the Jesus Revolution came along. I didn't know Lonnie, never went to Calvary Chapel, but I went to a Jesus conference. At that conference, God spoke directly to me. I do not remember what the message was exactly. I do not remember if what, I, what God told me was part of that message, but God spoke to me and said, I do not know you. I go back to Matthew, the sheep and the goats, where the goats are befuddled at the final judgment when God says he doesn't know them. I thought I knew God. I had a head knowledge of God, but I did not have a personal salvation relationship with God. So at that conference around age 16, I had a personal salvation, salvation experience. And I realized in my life, I had been in rocky soil. I had gone to church, I knew about God, but I had been vaccinated by just enough knowledge about God to be immune to a personal relationship with God. So on my evangelism journey, that is the message that I bring because I lived it. I was a, quote, Christian, but I was not a Christian in my heart. And along those lines, what is coming up, which I'm glad to be a part of, is Alpha. I've been to Alpha two times. I'm coming back this time as one of the hosts. Back 69, 70s, back in LA, everybody below the age of 30 was asking thousands of questions about everything. People were reacting, people were responding. Nowadays, we have the power of the web. Someone anonymous, but more information than you could ever hope to see. But Alpha is an in-person, non-threatening place to ask the questions in person with real people, get real answers, and hear people say, I don't know, let me get some more research on that and I'll get back to you. I was a church member, kind of born into a church, Christian all my life. I didn't have that personal salvation experience with Jesus. So my challenge to everyone is, if you're a member of the Heights or just a visitor, to look into your hearts. Do you know Jesus as your own personal Savior? Or is it just a head knowledge, family knowledge, historical knowledge? And sort that out once and for all to know, yes, I am a believer in Christ. Hey, would you join me in thanking Bob for sharing his testimony? Amen. Wow. What, a, what an incredible time of just worship this morning, entering into the presence of God. I, I pray that you've experienced 
and just the, the presence of God and the holiness of God in your own life this morning. And, and what I'm thinking about this morning, also I'm thinking about last Sunday morning. What a blessing to have Ryan Kwan here with us last Sunday. Amen. God bless. Yeah. That, that's half-hearted, but I mean, he, it, was, uh, it was amazing to have him here. Um, and, and, and Ryan talked about the fact that, that you and I are called of Jesus to go into the harvest. And I need you to understand something. That's not just a one-and-done sermon. Uh, breakthrough is not just intended to be something that's one-and-done. Into the harvest is something that I want us to be thinking about. And I want, I'm asking the Lord to just put that as a burden on our heart, our mind, this entire year. And, and one, of the, one of the clear implications is, from everything that Ryan shared, from the text that we read last Sunday to the text that we're going to read today, to everything we know about Jesus, I'm going to make this statement, and, and you see if you agree or not. When Jesus calls us into the harvest, Jesus implies, it's, it's kind of assumed, you tell me if you agree or not, that uh, that you and I won't just go begrudgingly into the harvest, but that there is some sense of passion that Jesus intends for us to have about the harvest. Do, does that make sense? Uh, do you agree with that statement or not? Jesus it actually intends for us to be passionate about the harvest. Y yes or no? Help me out. Yes. Amen. I love that. I mean, if, if we could invent some kind of thermometer, not that would check your body temperature this morning, not even that would check the condition of your soul per se, but if we could invent a thermometer that would just gauge the, the level of your passion for the harvest, and, and we use that thermometer on you, used it on me, what would, what would the temperature of your soul be? What would the level of your passion be? Would you be running about 104? I mean, the idea there is that, that you are hot, you are committed, you are passionate, you are devoted. You don't just have your one, you've got your 10. I was talking to somebody after the early service, and, and for the very first time this past week, it, it, she's been working with her coworkers, and, and the very first time she said it was just one of those God moments where a 45-minute conversation, and her five co-workers came and just talked to her, and they just asked her all of these questions about Jesus, and she said, man, this week I didn't have my one, I had my five, and I'm just like, well, thank the Lord for that. We're going to get you on video, and she says, no, you're not. But, but there's, a, there's a passion there. And, and, and I would say she's at 104. Maybe if you're, you, you'd just be like 98.6. You're healthy in Jesus. You love Jesus. You, you acknowledge there's a harvest. Yeah, I ought to be in the harvest. I know I should go. And I know I need to go. And well, there's all these barriers to going. And, and so you're just kind of normal. You're just kind of existing. Oh, I love the harvest. I pray for the harvest. It's kind of hard to go into the harvest. And that's okay. Or maybe, maybe you're running about 56.7. You go, that's impossible. No, it's not. Because I did an internet search. So I know what I'm about to tell you is true and accurate. 
the coldest uh, core body temperature that anyone has had in recorded history. I'm just gonna make this stuff up as I go. Uh, I'm just wanting this one number, 56.7. That, you know, somebody has actually gotten down to that core body temperature and survived. It was 56.7. I didn't even read the story because, again, I didn't care. I mean, it's like some lady, I think, fell into an icy pond, whatever, and they were revived her and and her core temperature. Maybe some of you are right there at 56.7. You are a child of God. God, you are a follower of Jesus, but you are so cold and indifferent towards the harvest, you don't want to be. It's just not on your radar screen, and you're thinking, man, that is just not me. That's not my calling. That's not what I'm about. I want to go to heaven when I die, but don't talk to me about the harvest, and you couldn't be any more cold or indifferent to the harvest than you currently are. If we did just a temp check on the level of your passion, where would that be? Wherever it is, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm literally going to invite you to just stand with me right now, and we're going to read together the words of Jesus. So let me invite you to stand, and and we're going to read together the words of Jesus. here's, Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, through your word and through the message today, would you stir my passion for the harvest? Would you read these words with me? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for honoring God and his word. I invite you to stand when we read so often because I just... I'm inviting you to make the declaration, God, we believe those are your words, not our words, and your word is my authority for faith and practice. It's my authority for what I believe and my authority for what I do. Passion for the harvest. In the words that we just read, there's this, this hidden gem there's one word that, that precedes going into the harvest and praying to the Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers into the harvest. And, and there's just one word, and it's like this hidden gem in our Lord's words, that if you miss this hidden gem, it's gonna be hard for you to ever become passionate about going into the harvest. And so I'm gonna invite your attention to this one word. Literally today, we're just gonna sur- just focus our thoughts and our attention on this one word and, and when we look at this word, listen, here's what I believe Jesus is telling us. Identity uh, really drives passion. Uh, let me put it another way. How you see yourself will drive, number one, what you are passionate about. And if you see yourself as being the person that Jesus says you are, your identity will drive your passion for the harvest. What is that one word? It says, then Jesus said to his, say this word with me, what? Disciples, disciples. Uh, let, me, let me just say this, until you and I embrace who we are in Jesus, we will not embrace what Jesus calls us to do. Identity drives what we are passionate about. Right now, if you identify yourself as, man, I'm a, I'm a huge football fan, then, then you're probably really up on who's playing the games today, right? I, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'm used to being disappointed and then tuning out. And so this morning, I had to do an internet search, who's playing today? And what 
while I was doing it, there was an article that popped up about Brock Purdy being a really devout Christian. So I said, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan today, and they're going to beat the Lions. Amen. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. I don't know. I don't really care. I didn't care this morning until I found out Brock Purdy's a Christian. So, but, but if you're a fan, I mean, you're not just a Cowboys fan. You are a football fan. Then, then you don't just go for rooting for a team. Somebody told me, man, my son works for the Kansas City Chiefs. You need to be rooting for them. And I said, okay, now I'm rooting for Kansas City and Brock Purdy. Okay, so anyway, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm easy. I'm just not that big of a But listen, if you're a fan, you don't just stop with picking a team today. You're listening to sports radio. And you, you know the players and you know the odds and you've got all this in your mind because that's who you, you are a football fan. If you're a decorator, an interior designer, you've got an opinion on Chip and Joanna Gaines. Good, bad, or indifferent. You, you, you think in terms of silos and, and you have an opinion about the fact that I think they just sold the whole city of Waco to them yesterday. I don't know if you caught that news. And, and so you've got an opinion on, on the new hotel they've opened. I mean, you, you, if you're an interior designer, you just kind of think and talk like that. My wife loves interior design. So if she ever gets the TV controls, we're watching one of those home improvement shows and I'm like, I'm gonna go read. Identity drives passion. Let me, let me just say this. You and I are not ever going to get very excited about the harvest or listening to sermons about the harvest until we begin to embrace our identity as a disciple of Jesus, number one. And number two, until we begin to experience the benefit that comes from being a disciple. Until we understand that we're disciples and until we begin to experience the benefit of being a disciple, and the fact is we're not ever gonna get very excited about going into the harvest and helping someone else to be harvested so they can become a disciple when it didn't do us any good so they can experience the benefits that we're not experiencing. I mean, we're not going to get excited until we begin to understand who we are and we experience the benefits of being who we are in Jesus. Let me try to illustrate one more way. By the way, this is still just the introduction. You know that, right? I'm still just trying to encourage you to listen as I start talking about who you are. You're a disciple. And as I talk about here's the benefits of being a disciple. So, so here's, here's still the introduction. When I think of harvest, I don't think immediately of sharing the gospel with somebody who's far from Jesus. I think I grew up out in the country, so I think of wheat, specifically wheat fields. And the image that comes to my mind when I think of a harvest is a combine, combining a field of wheat. Now, here's the thing. If you're gonna go combine a field of wheat, number one, you have to identify yourself as a farmer. You have to go, you know what? I'm a farmer. This is what I do. Uh, the odds are none of you, unless you really identify yourself as a farmer, ever jumped on a tractor and went and tried to harvest a field of wheat because you just don't identify. So you're not real passionate about that. But when you're a farmer and you've got a field of wheat, you're going, man, that's who I am. I go harvest wheat. You got to not only identify yourself as a farmer, you've got to see some benefit to the harvest. And because there are barriers to going into the harvest, I mean, do we have that, that combine? You wanna go buy that combine? I mean, go buy you a new John Deere X9 1100. 
2022 pricing here cost you a cool million dollars. And then you got to fill that baby up with diesel. And by the way, it's got a tank on there, 1,249 gallons. Pull up to the gas station, whip out your credit card and fill that tank up, right? (laughs) I'm telling you, there's some obstacles to going into the harvest if you're a farmer. And you've got to be convinced, if I go harvest this field of wheat, there's going to be a benefit, there's going to be a payoff. And we all know the payoff is going to be something like this, right? Now, the farmer is going to sell the wheat, but nobody's going to buy the wheat unless they know they can go harvest, that they can take this harvested wheat, and they can produce something like this. And if I was really, really good, this thing would be piping hot right now, and there'd be butter all over it, and I'd be biting into it, but then I'd be spitting bread all over you guys, and y'all would be going, never am I going to sit on the front row again. So I'm not going to eat any of this bread. But who doesn't love bread, right? So we see a benefit from harvesting wheat because you get good stuff like bread. So there you go. Now you and I are the same way. We're not gonna go into the harvest until we understand I'm a disciple. And I've experienced a huge benefit from being a disciple. And I want others to get in on what I have gotten in on. Because let's, let's just connect a dot that, that probably I don't need to connect and then we'll dive right into the sermon, okay? Here's the reality. You and I were once the wheat in the field. But somebody loved us enough and cared for us enough that they came and harvested us. You understand what I'm saying? They came and they told us about Jesus. They pointed us to Jesus. And we, as a result of them coming and harvesting us, we turned and we trusted in Jesus. We asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to be our Savior. And in that moment, we were transformed. The old became new. We became a new creation in Christ. And we were transformed from being wheat in a field to being bread. We were transformed from being enemies of God to being a disciple of Jesus. And see, somebody harvested us. It may have been a coach. It may have been a parent. It may have been a roommate. It may have been a friend, neighbor. For me, it was Wilbur McDaniel in the second grade, my buddy. And he invited me to church. And I went to church and I heard about Jesus and I held on to the back of the pew and said, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. Will you save me? And in that moment, I was transformed from being an enemy of God to being a disciple of Jesus. And what I want you to understand is identity drives passion. Amen? So here we go. Let's dive into the text. I love that. Thank you all. Here, here we go. You ready? You, you won't be passionate about going into the harvest until you understand and embrace your identity. Jesus says there, then he said to his disciples. Jesus is declaring your identity as a follower of Jesus. It's not an optional thing that you add on to your faith. It's not extracurricular. He said, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, your new identity is a disciple of Jesus. The word disciple is two root words put together, learn or learner, and then imitate or follow. And, and everyone in the first century, we don't get it. And maybe I don't make it plain enough, 
But the reality is when you become a disciple of Jesus, here's what you're signing up for, that you're gonna come and learn from Jesus and not just learn from Jesus, but then you're gonna start imitating Jesus or following Jesus or doing what Jesus did. I mean, that's what the word means, a learner who then imitates the one that he's learning from. It might be helpful for us to understand the first century concept of a disciple if, if we're really going to embrace who we are. Because in the first century, when someone became a disciple, they had a whole different concept of what a disciple is versus someone who becomes a disciple of Jesus today. In the first century, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish education system. Uh, when you went to elementary school, basically at the age of five to the age of 10, it was called Bet Sefer. And it was the equivalent of our elementary school. And, and uh, you know, in elementary school, you would go from age five to age 10. And you basically had one book for your curriculum, and it was the Old Testament. And you would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. But don't worry about it, they had five years to do it. And then uh, most of the students, when you finish Bet Sefer Elementary School, basically, you finish that, uh, then the vast majority, almost all the kids, what you would do is you'd go home, you'd apprentice in the family business. You would grow up, get married, have kids, and follow God. I mean, after all, you knew how to follow God. You, under, you memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. But a few select students would be allowed to continue their education, and, and this would be Bet Talmud, and that, that goes from about age 10 to age 15. And, and different scholars, you look it up, what, what did they learn in Bet Talmud from age 10 to age 15? And this is like high school, university, and some say they actually finished memorizing the rest of the Old Testament. Others say they just studied the oral traditions and rabbinic interpretations. But, but the point I want you to catch is, at age 15, the vast majority of these select few students who went would then be dismissed to go back home and apprentice in the family business, finish growing up, get married, have kids, and follow God. But a select few, here's what I want you to catch this morning. A very, very select few. I'm telling you, uh, this, this goes from age 15 to age 30, a select few. It was harder to get into than the PhD program at Harvard or some Ivy League school. A very select few uh, would, would apply with a rabbi to become a Talmud or a disciple. They had to apply and they had to agree to take on the yoke of the rabbi. Taking on a yoke meant I will take on your beliefs and your habits and I will believe what you believe and I will do what you do. And that's why Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul because I'm gentle and humble of heart. So the disciple would say, okay, I'm gonna take your yoke, rabbi, and, and I'm applying to become a disciple of yours. The rabbi would choose a few select students and, and, and would call the, the, the student to become a disciple, and they would call the disciple by saying, come follow me. And when that disciple, when that student uh, followed the rabbi, they took on a whole new identity, and the identity is disciple. They would leave 
leave house. They would leave village. They would go where the, the rabbi went. They would eat what the rabbi ate. They would stay where the rabbi stayed. And they would embrace a whole new identity. And they would embrace three primary goals in their life. The number one goal is to be with their rabbi. And I'm talking 24-7, everywhere the rabbi goes. Number two, to... They, their goal would be to become like their rabbi. The idea is to learn. The disciple would learn how to interact with God and the world the same way the rabbi does. So a disciple says, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be with you the next 15 years and I'm gonna learn how you interact with God, how you interact with other people. And then the third goal is to do what the rabbi does. I mean, think about it. If you're a plumber's apprentice, your goal is not just to learn a whole lot about plumbing. Your goal is to be able to plumb a house, right? And in the very same way, if you became a disciple of a rabbi, your goal is to actually become a rabbi. And so at age 30, the rabbi would commission the disciple to go and become a rabbi and make disciples and the commissioning service, the rabbi would say, go make disciples. Now let's connect this to being a disciple of Jesus. When you come to faith in Jesus, you became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you embrace, whether you understood it or not, here's what Jesus says, here's the deal. You're embracing three goals. Number one, to be with Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Number two, to learn from Jesus. Jesus, I'm becoming your disciple and I'm gonna learn from you how to interact with the Father and how to interact with other people and then to do what Jesus did, to go make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them how to obey all that God has commanded them to do. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's why we define disciple like this. A disciple is someone who loves and follows Jesus in every area of their life and helps others to do the same. Let me remind you, identity drives passion and how you see yourself drives the level of your passion for the harvest. So let's go back to the tent. You've got this thermometer. What's the level of your passion for the harvest. No guilt, no, 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 no judgment. I, I'm honestly asking you, what is the level of your passion? And if your, 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 your passion level is like 98.6 down, could it be that you've lost sight of your identity? Or could it be that you never really understood the significance of your identity to start with? So, our passion for the harvest is driven by identity. And second, our passion for the harvest is driven by experiencing the benefit of the harvest. No farmer is gonna buy a million dollar tractor and fill it up with 1,249 gallons of diesel if there's not a benefit. You and I is we can talk about being a disciple all day long, but if we don't see a benefit from being a disciple, we're not going to go into the field and risk telling somebody about Jesus because they may reject us and it's just not worth it. And so experiencing the benefit drives our passion. Something that it's easy to miss is that a disciple in the first century was a huge 
It was a huge benefit to be a disciple. You've got to understand in the first century, Jewish society elevated disciples and elevated rabbis and revered disciples and revered rabbis. I mean, think about it. They didn't have a professional athlete to cheer for. They didn't have a famous actor to grab their autograph from. They didn't have a rock star to cheer and to adore. No, no, no. The, the people who were adored in the first century were the rabbis because they were learned and educated and wise. And that's who people stood up and applauded. And to become a disciple who could then become a rabbi was a huge benefit. And you and I experienced the benefit of being a disciple. If you just think about even the five G's. I mean, five G's describes who we are as followers of Jesus. And there's a benefit to every one of the G's. I mean, when we are saved by grace, we are experiencing a benefit. We sometimes overlook it and we take it for granted. But when you are saved by grace, you move from death to life. You move from judgment to no condemnation. That's a benefit, amen? And when you begin to live by grace and you understand you don't have to perform to receive God's acceptance, but God's acceptance is received, not achieved. And you can kind of move from God, how am I doing, to God, how could you be so good to me? That's a benefit when you begin to experience grace. When you begin to experience the significance of the gathering where it's not just something you're checking off every Sunday, but you come in and you worship with other people and you're encouraged and you're blessed and you're built up, you begin to experience the benefit of the gathering. We really are better together, right? That's why it says in Hebrews, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. When we gather together, we are, we are encouraged and we are challenged to love God more and love others more and to follow Jesus more faithfully. That's the benefit of the gathering. We benefit from growing, right? We benefit from entering into the presence of God and hearing the voice of God when we're reading the word of God, right? And then we are, we are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and we walk in obedience. There's a benefit to living in the presence of God because we begin to thrive in God's presence. Same with giving, right? More blessed to give than receive. See, when we really get a hold of, man, I'm a disciple and, and a disciple understands it's more blessed to give than receive, what happens is I begin to grow from a place of greed to a place of generosity. I begin to grow as a human being. I begin to move out of this place where it's all about me and narcissism and selfishness and what's in it for me to a place of being able to give and bless and be a blessing. And then going is a benefit because we get to go and tell others how they can get in on what we've gotten in on. So passion for the harvest is driven by, the, by our identity, how we see ourselves. And it's driven by how much of a benefit we experience from being harvested Ourself. So what am I inviting you to do in response to this message? Let me tell you, number one, if you've never experienced the harvest in your own life, what I'm inviting you to do is to actually move out of the slums. You go, Gary, that's weird. Leave the slums. 
C.S. Lewis put it like this. When we settle for the stuff this world offers, we are like a child who settles for making mud pies in the slum when God is inviting us to a holiday at the beach. Here's what I'm saying. Some of you are trying to find your satisfaction in this world. And so in this world, you identify as an athlete. But here's the thing. If you're an athlete, performance, it's a performance-based acceptance. And, and you're only as good as your last game or your last season. That's why Bill Belichick, probably considered by many the greatest of all time, is having a hard time finding another job because it's performance-based, right? And so he's like, wait a minute. You're only as good as your last season. See, my encouragement to you is move from trying to find your acceptance and your satisfaction in the things in this world and instead find your satisfaction in Jesus because your acceptance in Jesus is received, not achieved. And what I'm inviting you to do today is to give your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask Jesus to be your Lord. Second thing I'm inviting you to do as well. If you are already a follower of Jesus, I'm inviting you today. Listen to me now. I'm inviting you to embrace who you are. Remember, a disciple spends time with Jesus. A disciple learns from Jesus how to interact with God and others. And a disciple then does what Jesus does. See, you're made. You're made for the hunt. You go, Gary, that, that's weird. It's not weird if you've ever watched um, Jurassic Park. You ever seen that scene where they're wanting to feed T-Rex and so they put this goat out there for T-Rex to eat and it doesn't go as planned. Here, watch this, see what happens. He's gonna eat the goat? Excellent. What's the matter, kid? You never had lamb chops? I happen to be a vegetarian. T-Rex doesn't want to be fat. He wants to hunt. Do you hear that? T-Rex doesn't want to be fat. T-Rex wants to hunt. You and I were not made to be religious consumers and to come and just be fed. God called you and designed you and equipped you and wired you for the hunt to go into the fields that are white unto harvest and to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Amen? We are created for the hunt. And I'm inviting you to turn off Oh, that, that's, that's y'all's music. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was still Jurassic Park going. I'm like, <laughs> turn T-Rex off. Hey, I'm inviting you to embrace who you are. So with that in mind, what, what we're gonna do now is just, I'm gonna invite you to just bow your heads with me. Judd and his team are just gonna come and they're gonna sing over us. And here's what I'm inviting you to pray. Who's your one? Just say, Lord, would you show me who my one is? Or like the lady in the early service, who are my five? Lord, who's my one? And once you find that one, would you just begin to pray for that one? Would you begin to pray, Lord Jesus, would you open 
their eyes? Would you show them their sin? Would you show them their need for you? Would you show them your love for them? Lord, would you give me boldness? Lord, would you give me wisdom? Lord, would you give me opportunity? Would you just spend a moment praying for your one while the team sings over us?